0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Girl Boss Radio. I'm your host, Avery, and I'm the founder of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. Today I'm joined by Megan O'Neill. Megan is the Associate Beauty Director at Goop. She started her career in magazines, and today she writes about clean beauty, tries the latest self-care trends, and is making space for Black women's voices in wellness. We chatted about the power of having a mentor at work, whether landing your dream job is all it's cracked up to be, and what it's really like to have Gwyneth Peltro as your boss. Let's get into it. Megan, thank you so much for joining us today on Girl Boss Radio. I am very excited to start this conversation. Uh, For folks that are just listening in, we've already been chatting this morning, haven't we?
1: We have, (laughs) yeah. We we covered a lot actually. (laughs) We've been talking about
0: Rekabek. We talked about headphones and how they just like people that run with AirPods. How do they do it? How do they manage? They're a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we talked about that, and then so for folks that are listening, and I know that they're probably really curious about you and your career and your background, and I think that I just have to start with the obvious:
1: How did you land your job as the associate beauty director at Goop? I come from magazines, and I always wanted to work at a magazine, just in any capacity. I just wanted to write at a magazine and like be in that world. So I grew up wanting that and I had a meandering path getting there. I graduated, I had a bunch of jobs that were not fun. I was like a production assistant. I was a waitress. I was a, a freelance reporter type thing at People Magazine, which was cool, but not glamorous. It was like me like waiting in a bush, trying to like ambush a celebrity and get a Q and A in. It wasn't glamorous. But then finally I got a gig at Lucky Magazine. And it was a total dream. The beauty director was Jean Godfrey-June, who's my boss and friend and great friend and mentor now at Foop. But she was the beauty director at Lucky. And so I went in for an informational interview with her. And we vibed, we hit it off. I had no interest in beauty, though. So I prepared this like speech I was going to launch into about how much I loved beauty. But I sort of like didn't get to my speech. And then before I was about to launch into my speech about how much I loved beauty, she was like, you know what? I have to say, I'm so happy you didn't come in here talking about how much you love beauty and you're a beauty junkie. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, thank God I didn't like, you know, go into that. But basically my point is I wanted to write and she looked at beauty in the same way as me. She's not a beauty junkie or a beauty obsessive. It's about like the writing and the mood and the vibe that beauty product give you, you know, when you use them and when they're on your skin. So, we had a similar philosophy in that sense. But anyway, so she hired me at Lucky. That sort of launched my career. From there, I went to Elle magazine and did beauty and fitness. And then I went to Goop after like two and a half years at Elle. And I loved Elle, but you're at a place for a while and then it's time to explore a new place. And I had every one of Gwyneth Paltrow's cookbooks before like <laughs> there was a goop. You know, like I'm a big cook person. I've always been a fan of Gwyneth and her talking about and promotion of a clean lifestyle. And the thing she was doing that seemed so wacky back then, like the conscious uncoupling. Yes. Which is really just, you know, AKA have a nice divorce. All those things, I was sort of like, that's cool. So Goop wasn't terribly far-fetched. So I'm interested. So with Jean, because I know that I've definitely done this in the past
0: and probably a lot of people listening have like followed folks. Maybe it was like their work bestie or their work wife or even like a really amazing boss throughout their career. Did Jean go
1: to Elle as well? She did. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. I know, isn't that funny? She was like a founding editor of Lucky Magazine. But before she did the whole Lucky thing, she was at Elle as the beauty director. So it's funny that we had similar experiences. So it's interesting how sometimes if you have that person that
0: is like a friend and a mentor and also someone that's advocating for you, but also in the form of a boss, it really can be a transformational decision to make in your career.
1: Truly. Yeah. I mean, it's Funny thinking back, but that interview with her changed my life. And I hadn't been in a magazine. These magazine jobs were like really coveted, and there weren't that many of them. And she sort of took a chance on me and made me the associate beauty editor. And I had had no previous experience. Like I didn't even start as an assistant. I love that. And I think that, I mean, for folks that are listening, and I guess I'm
0: always like, I like to put my HR hat on as we have these conversations, but who you work for or report into is just as important, if not more important than where you
1: work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I fully agree. Yeah. You know, we all
0: need a gene in our lives, so to speak, someone that is going to like rock for us and support us and care deeply about our growth. And it seems as though she kind of went out of her way at times to, to move barriers for you to like, to invite you in to new opportunities and everything
1: like that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. She definitely invited me in. And it is true. Like, I think I got that informational interview, but I think, you know, subconsciously, maybe in an interview, you can tell who the person is. And it's hard because you need a job. You need to pay your rent. You know, you need to be autonomous. You don't always have the luxury of choosing your boss. And she obviously could have ended up to be a different kind of boss. But the fact that I got her was really transformative. And she takes being a boss and managing people really seriously and advocates for them and supports them. And there's like a very strong trust. Amazing. And do you have people that report into you now? No, I'm the associate beauty director. So I'm under Jean, who's the executive beauty director. I actually like not managing people because it is such a responsibility. You're not just telling them what to do. You're checking in. You're making sure things are okay at home. And actually, we talk about this a lot, this new professionalism, which I'm into. It's not just work. It's like, are you okay outside of work? Because all of that, I mean, we're people, right? We're humans at an office, but we're still people with emotions and things going on outside of work. So when you're managing someone, you sort of have to make sure they're okay too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we need to like, evolve the word manager, because I think that we're no longer managing people's performance, especially like in our case, like at my company, we're fully remote. In some cases, we're getting a view into someone's home on the opposite end of our conversations. And I think that that's interesting that that's something that you are having conversations with a group. And on the note of like managing people, managing people is really hard. And I think that what I love about the direction that the world of work is going is there's not as much emphasis on growth, down the path of managing people, like you can grow in your career now without having like a massive team.
1: Yeah, I I
0: totally appreciate that. Yeah. So one thing I have to ask, what's it like, because you mentioned Gwyneth, what is it like working with Gwyneth? We all want to know. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love Gwyneth. And not just I love her. Gwyneth is the real thing. Like it's her company. Like I remember when I, before I started, I'd got the job and I was like, I wonder how involved Gwyneth is. And that's not a question. Like if you're in the office, she's there. Everything is run by her and it's her ideas. Goop is her. It's like this thing that she created and to say she's involved, no, it's her thing still. And she's still so curious about things and she is like, let's write about this or I just talk to this expert, let's do this. Yeah, she's also funny, like off the cuff, (laughs) which is cool. I love that. I feel like she's like a genius, you know, she's really smart. I, I have to ask, like,
0: is Goop really like the dream job? Because I'm, we're all thinking that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's such a good question. It is a dream job, but like anything you fantasize about, it's also real. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's also a job. I kind of compare it to when I was a kid, when I was growing up, I was like, I thought that being married would be a certain way. I thought that having sex would be a certain way. All these like adult things you want to grow up and do, I imagine to be one way. And then you grow up and they're all like totally different. They're all still beautiful, amazing experiences, but just totally different in what you can't really imagine. You know what I mean? So Goop is a dream job. Like I love my job. And it's a dream job because it aligns with my purpose I read that in like some like yogi newsletter. I get a billion newsletters. We all do. It was about how feeling happy and feeling successful has a lot to do with your daily job aligning with your purpose in life. And I was like, huh, I like that. And I love being able to tell stories of women. I love being able to tell stories of Black women. I love talking about how people can make their life a little cleaner and healthier and toxin free. And those things do feel like my purpose. So it is a dream job on that level. And then the other, the fun stuff, yeah, like I'm like trying creams and going around the city to to cool places to check out and talking to hairstylists and environmental activists and makeup artists. It's really like 360 and it's really fun, but also it is a job. And there are days when I'm like stiff from hunching over my laptop. Many days like that. Too many days like that. <laughs> I mean, even the most
0: glamorous of jobs are still jobs.
1: It's a job, yeah.
0: I know that there's probably a lot of assumptions swirling through people's minds right now about like, what does an associate beauty director actually do?
1: Yeah, I have friends who like really think I just slather creams on my face all day. And that is a part of the job, but it's not the only part. So the other part is writing. I'm a writer. And the reason that is the thing is because Beauty can be boring, right? Like a bunch of lipsticks on a page, a bunch of creams on the page. What does this one do? Why is this one more expensive than that one? Why do you even have 20 creams? So we write about beauty. We write stories around beauty to give it context and to tell people what does what. And also context, meaning, as I said before, about beauty being interesting to me because it's a vibe. It makes you feel a certain way. It's a mood that is like the main thing for me because there are a billion creams and a cream isn't going to change your skin. It's not. It's beautiful. It's going to help your skin in some way. But that whole hope in a jar thing, like it's no cream is a magic cream. All the boring behaviors we know about, like sleeping and eating well and, you know, not being stressed, those are the things that are going to change how you look. The cream is just sort of this added thing that's beautiful, but it's not going to change your life. But it's beautiful. So my point is, we write about beauty to give it, to inject that mood into things. And then the other part of the job is clean beauty. And clean beauty is this, not to get too into it, but it's an unregulated term. But Goop sort of has some of the most stringent guidelines in the industry on what is clean. And basically it means clean beauty are beauty products that don't contain any of the harmful ingredients that are in commonly in conventional beauty products. I wrote this story a few years ago. It was called When Your Hair is Killing You. And it was about this study that came out, research that came out, that showed that hair care marketed to Black women specifically had more endocrine disruptors than hair care marketed to other populations. So clean beauty, there's a racial aspect too. So I love the part of the job that is talking about clean beauty for many reasons.
0: And one thing that I read that I wanted to talk to you about, because I, I think it was a surprising discovery for me personally, was that you don't wear makeup. And I'm not looking for you to like defend or or kind of like explain yourself. And I'm more so just asking for a place of curiosity, like, because I was like, oh, beauty director Aku doesn't wear makeup. I need to know more about this. Tell me everything. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, okay. Makeup is amazing. Like we all need to do what we need to do to feel like ourselves and strong and beautiful. But no, I don't wear makeup. I love skincare. Like I love like glowy, glossy, like almost sweaty skin. (laughs) So I sort of layer on the moisture to get that. So I am doing stuff. I do care. But makeup? Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel beautiful with makeup on on a daily basis.
0: Yes, I feel like this is a discovery that I made during the pandemic and moving to remote work. And then also I simultaneously started my company, started my business in 2018 and was working by myself up until about 2019. And I made my first hire in like essentially like two to three months before 2020. When that happened, I found myself shifting away from apologizing for not wearing makeup on Zoom calls because we were completely remote. And I started to just let go of the routine of getting ready for work. And I actually came across a really interesting statistic that talked about how women that spend more time getting ready for work actually earn more than women that do not. Whoa, really? Yes. There is a correlation between the amount of time that women spent getting ready. And This is pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, pre-remote work kind of shift. But still, and that like really, really shifted my perspective because I was like, Am I doing this because I enjoy the practice of getting ready and straightening my hair and curling it, spending an hour trying to sort out my eyebrow situation, right? bronzer, all the things, or am I doing it because I'm really kind of adhering to this misogynistic, patriarchal, very kind of
1: sexist
0: system that's Uh, very much within our workplace?
1: That is so interesting. God. Well, I, I was just going to say, I also should remind people that I never worked in corporate America. I mean, I've worked at corporations, but you know, lucky was under Condé Nast. But the environment at those places were not corporate. It was like creative in a magazine. And so I do feel like I didn't feel that pressure. I personally didn't feel a pressure to have to wear makeup. But also it's a funny thing. And going off what you were just saying, I didn't wear makeup for my wedding, I remember. And some of my close friends were like, you want to wear a little, right? Just to like smooth things out for the pictures. Like, I think you should wear a little. Because I, you know, I I don't have this perfect skin. I have breakouts and some spots from breakouts. Texture. <laughs> Texture. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I just, I don't know. I don't, it's it's skin, right? And it's not offensive. Like it's skin and it's yours and it's alive. And there's nothing more beautiful than like the look of real skin, even if it's blemished. Yeah. Definitely
0: knowing that you work for a woman-led company. And now my business is a woman-led company, and the majority of people that work at the company are women. I don't feel that same pressure to perform personally that I felt when I worked in environments that were dominated by men or where there was a lot of men in leadership, which is sad, but also a really kind of freeing observation to come across. And I haven't really talked about it in this way until right now. So I wanted to kind of reflect back on get back to you at Goop. Have you ever found yourself in a situation prior to Goop where you thought you're moving into your dream job, but it didn't turn out to be so?
1: L was an amazing, amazing experience. But I bring up L because it was my dream place. Like I, I loved reading it before I worked there. The articles were all so voicey and smart. And it was sort of this like investigative journalism vibe. And the spreads were beautiful. I was like, I got to work at L one day. And then I did. And it was so hard. The way the investigative journalism vibe was just there was such a steep learning curve for me. It kind of broke me at first, just in the sense of how thorough the articles had to be and how scientific they had to be. I had to like retrain my brain, like any new thing, like any new skill. It was a hard one to digest. But I'm so grateful because it taught me a different way of writing it taught me how to remain myself in a different environment. To be clear, it wasn't a bad experience. It was a wonderful experience. And I loved the people I worked with. It was just a new place. And you you have to adapt to a new place. And that's not always easy. Yeah. And I think that a lot
0: of folks will sometimes put their dream job on a pedestal or their dream company or their dream brand on a pedestal. And then you'll get to that point and realize that it's not for you. Need advice and not sure where to turn? Sick of telling your Uber driver your entire life story? We've got you covered. Oversharing from Betches Media is all about the challenges we face in all kinds of relationships, from friendships to family, long-term partnerships, or even dealing with the customer service rep that makes you want to scream into a pillow. Betches' co-founder and relationship enthusiast, Jordana Abram, has teamed up with her big sister, licensed clinical therapist, Dr. Naomi Bernstein, to answer your questions and try to get to the bottom of the things that bother most of us. Think of Jordana and Dr. Naomi as your BFF and your therapist, sitting side by side at the brunch table trying to help you to get through your problems. Each week, they're responding to listener emails, tackling difficult ethical questions, playing games, and so much more. Because sometimes we really need advice from people with no skin in the game. And let's face it, your friends can't stand to hear that story one more time. Make sure you tune in to Oversharing every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to my conversation with Megan O'Neill, the Associate Beauty Director at Goop. Want to find out the wildest thing Megan ever did in the name of wellness? Keep listening. So I watched the Goop special on Netflix and <laughs> I have to know what was like, what's the wildest thing that you've ever done in the name of your job at Goop?
1: I mean, that weekend jumping into freezing Lake Tahoe was pretty freaking wild. Oh my God. in a bikini, like a string bikini. That was an awesome weekend. God, I've never been so like jacked on adrenaline. We went to Lake Tahoe in winter. We learned from Wim Hof who is this expert in breathing and cold therapy. His whole thing is you can learn how to control your autonomic nervous system by breathing technique and by plunging yourself into frigid, cold environments. So like an ice bath or a freezing lake. And the theory is if you do that enough, you're mimicking a stress response that's going to allow you to be less stressed throughout your life. That's like it in in a gross nutshell. So we went to Lake Tahoe. He taught us how to do the breathing. And then we jumped into Lake Tahoe in bikinis. And we did yoga in the snow. And, you know, all this was being filmed. And it was wild. It was awesome, but it was wild. And I don't know if I'm tough enough to do it right now. You know, that was like three years ago. I don't know if I could do it now. So that was wild. And then another one was, maybe this is like very goopy, but a couple years ago when I first started, I saw a vagina practor. what she's called. And basically she helps women heal and tone their pelvic floor. A lot of women get injured there after birth or even before. We hold a lot of tension there. I literally went to her and she gave me like, she massaged my pelvic floor. Like she went in through my vagina. (laughs) Yeah. Her name's Kimberly Johnson and she's great. Very
0: cool. So I actually watched the episode where you did that last night. I watched the the Goop Lab over again. I wanted to check it out because I, I was preparing for a conversation. And this morning, I took a freezing cold shower. <gasps> no it, way. It, yep. Yes, in the name How of the do episode. How you do? I did very well, I think. Yeah. I screamed and I jumped a little bit. I tried to be like,
1: <laughs> it's miserable, <laughs> huh? Like, it's not easy. It is miserable. but But it does change the day if you do it consistently.
0: Yes. Yes, I actually woke up with a bit of a migraine this morning. And yeah, I just went for it. So I took it this morning and I feel like revitalized. I feel really calm. I definitely didn't feel as stressed coming into this conversation because like, of course, it's like always stressful because you want to do a great job and you want to ask the right questions and be sharp. So yeah, I think anyone that's listening, in the name of goo, why don't you just try to do a cold shower or jump into a freezing cold lake, but make sure there's people around so you're safe and Don't hurt yourself.
1: (laughs) I agree. Try it out. It it does do something.
0: So I, I have to ask at Girlboss, we're all about redefining success on our own terms. Do you think that you're successful?
1: I do because I feel like I used to, and not too long ago, I used to be like, one day I'll be successful. I'll have a house in the Hamptons and I'll live on one of those beautiful streets in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn which is like beautiful, fancy Brooklyn, like looked like a movie set. So that was sort of like one day I'll have those things. So basically that's like pegging success on money. Obviously we need money to live in this world and we live in this capitalist culture. You need money, you need a job to make money. But no, I feel successful because like I said before, I really like what I do and my job aligns with my purpose. So I feel successful because of that. But also it's interesting, like I have one of my best friends the other day, we had this conversation and she was like, I don't want to move up in my job. She's like an executive assistant to a doctor. She was like, I don't want to move up because I love being able to not be bombarded with emails at night. My daughter comes home from daycare at five and I'm available. I like that. I like having a job that allows me to pay my rent and to do something but I don't want more responsibility because I like the freedom of not being so tethered to work because we're all tethered to work. There are emails all night. We are always on and somehow that's acceptable now that she doesn't want that and she's okay not being quote unquote ambitious in that way. You need to have your own definition of success. It's not money. It's liking what you're doing every day. If you're lucky enough to not have to hate your job, Your life is a lot better. So what is your definition of success? My definition of success is being able to feel like myself at work. I don't put on a work suit. It's me through and through. And I so appreciate that I don't have to step into some like corporate facade of myself.
0: But the sense of alignment with who you are and who you can show up as every day, that's huge. Leaning into that, so you're a Black woman working in the beauty and wellness space for one of the most iconic brands that's leading the way with a lot of like modern and progressive conversations around beauty and wellness. We know that the beauty and wellness industry for a long time, for millennia, has left out people from historically marginalized communities, specifically Black and racialized women. How do you think that Black women can practice wellness for themselves?
1: Well, first of all, I want to just say straight off that real wellness is completely free. It's free. Wellness is an industry and a business now, but like real wellness is informing yourself about what you need to do to be healthy. And it's setting boundaries, right? Whether that's not scrolling Instagram endlessly or knowing when you have to stop working and take a break because you're burned out, even if you have some pressing deadline, or it's Not scrutinizing how skinny or fat, quote unquote, your arm looks in a picture. It's being nice to yourself. It's giving you space to make mistakes. It's eating nourishing food. Yeah.
0: In your article titled, What's a White Black Girl? Published on Goop, you shared more about your experience as a first-generation American born to Jamaican immigrants, an optimist, and despite how you may see yourself to everyone else, before anything else, you are Black. What did you mean when you said this for those who didn't read the article and for those who are wondering, like, what is a white Black girl?
1: Being Black and being a Black woman is a huge, beautiful part of my identity. But my essence is my essence. And I'm I'm me. And I know that other people may look at me and think things, but I can't internalize that. You know, I can't believe it. Like, I'm me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you're talking about is ultimately black people are not a monolith. I'm black and you and I are completely different, right? Different lived experiences. We grew up in completely different places, completely different childhoods. I mean, even career journeys. And I think that when we see so little representation in media and in society of people of color, but specifically of, in this context, black women, We're almost like characterized to a certain degree, and then people will then develop stereotypes. And these are all by design. (laughs) And these stereotypes have real life implications where they translate to people believing that we're angry or aggressive or bitchy or overly bossy, like all of these tropes. So I think that being, I mean, a Black woman in the workplace is a really challenging thing for sure being a Black woman in America or in other parts of the world is incredibly hard. And I think that I read your article and I was quite moved by it mainly because I know that some folks would read that, specifically folks in the Black community and be like, oh, well, you're not owning your Blackness. Like you're trying to dismiss it because you're saying like, I'm a person first. But I think that there's so much truth in acknowledging that like, I am who I am. And on top of being a Black woman and holding this important part of my identity that's so influential in all my experiences, I just want to be seen as me. (laughs) I want people to know me, right?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: That's the beauty of, of who we all are. So thank you for kind of sharing that. And for anyone who's listening, if you haven't read the article yet, you should definitely check it out. It's on Goop's website. It was an interesting and fresh perspective that I haven't seen as it relates to the Black experience. So I appreciate that. In the article uh, you shared, I once interviewed for an assistant position at Vogue and later found out that the editor I'd spoken with expressed misgivings about hiring me because my hair was unruly, in brackets, read curly, and I didn't seem subservient enough. How did this impact you?
1: I mean, it stung, right? I didn't believe it. I knew I had enough of a sense of myself to not believe it, but it stung. Who wants to hear that? And it obviously stung because I'm talking about it now. I'm 37. I think this happened when I was like 23. I still remember it. I remember how it made me feel. But I really do not believe it. And I didn't believe it. But hearing it and having those experiences, they do sting. And they make you question things, even if you do know who you are. That is the, the tragedy of bias. It's so dangerous. Absolutely. absolutely. Because it's just, it's just another barrier. Yeah.
0: Thank you for your vulnerability in sharing that with us today. I really appreciate it. And I'm really sorry that you had that experience. And I'm also sorry to Vogue because look at where you, are, where you are now. They missed out. <laughs> 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 Just got to call it out. So we're coming to the end of this conversation, but I wanted to share a question we have in Ask a Girl Boss question every single conversation. And the Ask a Girl Boss question today was this. I've been stuck for months in cat blocks. How do I get back to my fearless and empowered self? And there was a sad, shamed emoji at the end of it. Oh, I know. So (laughs) what advice do you have for this person that shared
1: this question with you? Well, I'm sorry you're hurting. That is a tough spot to be in. I think we've all been in that spot sometimes. It's hard to sort of claw your way out, but you definitely can. I think part of growing up and living life is figuring out how to make yourself happy and feel joy. And I think we often think that how to be happy is like something we have to buy or it's like something not accessible. It's something outside. The world is sort of set up to make us think that, but it's not true. Like, like you have to figure out what you need to do during the day to be happy. So maybe that's like going for a run. Maybe it's making sure you have time to cook. You know, maybe it's masturbating. It can be anything, but you just have to gut check what it is for you. And you have to make sure to do it so that your life feels like your life. Absolutely. I think what I would add to that
0: too is, you know, if you're wanting to get back to your fearless and empowered self, start small, do one tiny little thing that scares you today and then build up on that over time. It's not about taking risks as much as it's about facing these things that you're scared to do. This feeling of fear is something that we oftentimes construct on our own. Sometimes the fear isn't even necessarily valid. We're just afraid because we haven't done it or tried it yet, or we haven't gone for it. So usually when you actually feel the fear and do it anyway, which is a really great book, and you move through it, that's when you're going to start feeling more empowered. you be like, my goodness, that wasn't actually as scary as I thought. And I did it and I moved through it. And now I'm feeling like more... Empowered in myself and in my behaviors, and in also probably more confident in some of the decisions that you're making. So
1: that is such good advice. Yeah, you really do. That is how you get confidence, huh? By doing something that scares you, and then you've done it, and you're like, I can do it, and you're on top of the world, more on top of the world.
0: Totally, totally. Nine times out of ten, and I mean, this doesn't apply to all things, right? There are certain things that you should definitely be afraid to do. I wouldn't jump into a pit of snakes, for example. Never going to do it. I'd probably rather die. But asking your boss for a raise and feeling afraid to do that, yes, that is a valid fear to a certain extent, but you might be manufacturing much of the fear around that more than you need to feel. So true. Quick rapid fire questions. I want to ask you, (laughs) how many unread emails do you have in your inbox at the
1: moment? Like
0: 130. Oh, okay. That's good. Is it? Oh, okay. I think so. I'm at like 700. Oh my God. Okay. I know. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs)
1: What's the last thing
0: you do before you go to bed?
1: Skincare. And I always massage lotion or oil onto my stomach because after giving birth, I'm just like this area needs some energy to like be poured back into it. And I want to have more kids. So I'm just sort of like giving it good energy.
0: I love that. I need to do, I honestly only cream my face. Everything from the neck down is always so dry.
1: <laughs> Which so it feels so good. It feels yeah. so like a hug to yourself. You got it. I need to do that. I need to yeah. do that more. Okay. What time do you typically wake up in the morning? Seven AM. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Early riser. Is that early or what do you think? I think so. Why have a baby? So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and morning or evening person? The biggest night owl you've ever met.
0: Same. Really? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I could see that. Yeah. I love being up when like the world's quiet and moody and sexy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: Megan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. So one thing, do you want to leave anything with the audience, folks that are listening in before we officially wrap up this conversation?
1: You have to be yourself, right? Like we have this one life. It's such a miracle that we're alive. Life is just the most epic thing. So I just really try to make sure I'm doing what I need to do while I'm here because we have one shot. So if you're in a situation that's not fulfilling you, try to transition into something that does. Amazing. So you heard it here first. Do what you need to do
0: for you. Thank you so much for listening to my chat with Megan. We'll be back next week with another Candid Conversation. And until then, read this episode or leave a comment to let us know what you thought. This podcast is produced by Liz Cooper and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.